Good to have you this morning. Good to uh, see you. Good to be back together. I was up on the mountain with the guys, and we were having a, a, a really, a really nice time together and with the Lord. So, uh, thanks for prayers that way. Um, if you're online this morning and you're joining us, we want to say welcome to you uh, that way. If you're new this morning, we want to just uh, give an extra special welcome to you this morning and say that we're grateful that you're here, that you've chose to come and worship with us this morning, whether it be um, live with us or um, online with us. So we continue um, our journey through uh, the Psalms of Ascent, and we are on Psalm 127 this morning. And, and um, this psalm is written either, uh, uh, Matthew Henry points out, it's either written to Solomon from David or it's written by Solomon. But either way, Solomon is building a house. He's building both a personal house and he's also building uh, the temple. He's building the house uh, for the Lord. And, and so we've uh, titled this message here this morning, Is He In It? Is He In What We're Up To? Psalm 1 verse, or Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So, so the idea here is, is, is in our lives and uh, what we're doing. See, the reality is we're all building a home. We're all building our lives. We're all moving forward through uh, the, the middle of this and the middle of the chaos that we're in, but we're still building our homes. We're still building our lives. And if we started to think about that from a spiritual perspective, we'd have to realize that, that there's a spiritual home that we're building, that there's a there's spiritual work that, that, is, um, that is hopefully going to be ongoing, that is going to be um, a heritage, things that are going to bring preservation um, into our community, things that are going to preserve a way of life that we are to be building spiritual homes as well. You know, the reality of the house that I live in today, I live at 431 Smith Street, and my house is falling down. It is. It's falling down right now. As a matter of fact, the sun is beating down against the, the shingles of my roof, right? And it's on the paint and, and, and different things. And, and, and the reality of my house that I live in is if I leave it unkept, it'll deteriorate in a fairly quick manner. It might even surprise you how quickly a, an uninhabited home will get into a dilapidated condition. There's one thing that'll help my house, and that's maintenance on my house, right? So if, if eventually the, the sun beats my shingles up to the point that, that they're no good, or, or hail comes, or wind blows some of those off, if I, if I don't pay attention to that, then I'm going to begin to get a, a leak in my roof, right? If I get a leak in my roof, it's not going to stay in my roof, right? Gravity's going to bring that down. It's going to come through the roof. It's going to come into the sheetrock of my ceiling. It's going to drip through. It's going to get on the carpet and the pad. It's going to saturate that. It's going to rot the floor. You see, unless we're putting maintenance into our homes, they basically are subject to the second law of thermodynamics, which says that everything is moving from a place of order into a place of disorder. And that's really the, the creation account. That's the account that God gives us is that he created with order, but we moved into a place of disorder. We rebelled against God. We pushed God out of the picture of who we wanted to be. And we began to, in our own estimation, be God of our own little worlds. And we began to build our own worlds. As a matter of fact, as we look 
look further into the book of Genesis, we'd see even where they, they, they created a, a tower a, called the Tower of Babel, right? Where, where they began to, they said they will ascend to God. And this is a problem. The problem that we have is that, is that we begin to build our lives, we begin to build our homes, and we forget so many times about God. And, and it's telling us right here that unless God is, is building with us, unless he's in this thing, then the labor, the things that we're doing are gonna be in vain. They're not gonna have the fruit that we really want them to have because they're gonna be um, really selfish in nature. They're gonna be about us. They're gonna be about us uh, pushing our own agenda forward in life. See, the reality of it is, is that there's a lot of really good folks out there that are living good lives, and they're good to people, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're trying to be good citizens. But part of the reality of their life is that everything about their life is about their own agenda. It's about pushing their agenda forward. It's, it's, it's not a broader perspective. It's not necessarily an eternal perspective. And just because they're good folks doesn't mean that we're meeting God's desires and his plans and the things that he wants to build and do in our lives. God has, God has got this bigger perspective. He's got a bigger picture. And if we just focus ourselves on the temporal and what's gonna go away eventually, we'll miss the point of what life is really about. See, God wants us to create and understand that there's a bigger picture that we're talking about, that there's a, there's a higher calling and, and that God wants to be a part of helping us to build our homes. He wants, this. he wants to be in the middle of it. And so we start from this individual perspective, and this is how the gospel begins, and this is how God's kingdom is furthered, is that he first must rule and reign in our own hearts and our own minds. He, he, his kingdom has to come here first. And as it comes here, then we wanna, we wanna bring that kingdom into our families and then our families into our communities, and just one heart at a time is how this thing is built. It goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We can be as vigilant as we want to be, but the reality of it is, is it's only God who never slumbers. It's only him who really has a right perspective on life and how to live life. So we, in our own estimation, our own efforts, can try to, to be uh, vigilant, to be watchful, but if God is not our security, if he's not the one that we're looking for, looking to for our security, for our well-being, then we'll, we'll watch in vain. See, we trust in so many different things. We, we trust in all kinds of things for our security. As a matter of fact, one thing that we're really looking for in our deep desire is to have security in our lives. Right? But we, we start to seek that through our own efforts, through finances, or, or through our arsenal, or through um, just our abilities, or our position, or the power that we hold, and these different things. But in reality, while all of those things might be, uh, many of those things, a component of our lives, if God isn't in it, then we watch in vain. If, if our ultimate trust for our security, for our well-being isn't in God, and then it's in something that's not able to provide for us or has a lack of sufficiency really for us to carry us the long term. You see, the idea that God has is, again, is that our families, we would pour into our families. We would come here together. We would be encouraged together to go out to pour into our community. And big problem that we have in the church today is that we're not talking 
We, we, we've kind of fell um, into the trap, I think, of the idea that you don't talk about politics or religion. See, that's a big mistake to, to say that we should really just always shy away from those subjects, that we, sh- we shouldn't, those, those, those things are incredibly important to our lives. Those, those, are, those are mainstay things that should have conversation. We should have conversation around those things because those things are important things. Instead of learning or saying that we should never engage in those conversations, what we really need to be talking about and teaching is how to have civil conversations in those areas. But see, the church has been quiet too long. We, we haven't stood up and we haven't began to speak for what we're for. And there are all kinds of voices out there, and I'm telling you, this is the truth, that want to recreate culture and society right here in our nation as we know it. They they want to completely tear it down and reassemble it. And you see, if, if God's people aren't recognizing that he is an integral part of life, that faith is part of this picture, and if we want to have cities that flourish and we want our city to flourish then we need to bring God into that picture. And if he's not part of that picture, then you can stay awake all you want and look out the front window, but it'll just be in vain. This is a call to action. It's a a call to, to bring God into every facet of our lives, to recognize that it doesn't matter if it's about our finances or about our jobs or our abilities or our skill sets, that all of those things come from him anyway that we first recognize that it's him, that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and allow all things in our lives to be added to us from there. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. You know, in America today, we are one of the most anxious, anxiety-ridden, over-medicated cultures on the globe right now. And, and I believe it's because of this. I be- believe it's because we have moved him out of his rightful place in our lives. We've, we've pushed God out of the formulas of our life. We've, we've taken him out of school. We've taken him out of government. We've taken him out of, even at times, as Christians, this is written to God's people, we forget. We forget that that life is a bigger picture. We get caught in our own microcosm of what life is really about. And then we just toil and we live anxiously. You see, Jesus says this in Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 and 29. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, come and and join me here. Toil with me. Not a lack of toil, not just like let's sit on the couch and eat Doritos, but let's work together. Let's pull together. And guess what? If you pull with me, it's a whole lot lighter than you pulling by yourself and out there and pulling in all of these things that have just brought you to this place where you have no rest for your souls. See, he's saying that my work is good. My work is pleasing. When you bring me into the picture, things flourish. 
You flourish. The people around you flourish. You won't eat the bread of anxious toil. You'll eat the bread of purposeful toil. And you'll rest at night. You'll get some sleep because you will go to bed with the peace of understanding that we've spent our day serving the Creator. We've, we've, we've spent our day with the King. We've been in His presence, and He'll give His beloved sleep, it says. Now, the psalmist here makes an interesting turn. It almost seems like he just changes the subject, and he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And, and, and so God goes on to, to begin to, to tell us that, that we have a heritage in our children, that, that this faith is to be imparted, that we're not supposed to just bring our kids to church. That's a good thing, and we encourage that, obviously, but that we're to impart faith into their lives, that there is supposed to be a living and active faith that's happening in front of them, that is being modeled for them. This is the importance of marriage and why we as Christians stand for marriage, and we say that it's important. It's because in our marriages, we're going to model for our children how to do marriage, how to do relationship, how to live in community. We want to pass these things on to teach them how to be kind, how to be forgiving, how to be compassionate, how to exhibit grace in their own lives, how to be respectful in how they state their opinions and the, uh, the, the, the conversations that are had out there. We want to and we have to recognize that security that we seek has a whole lot to do with the next generation that is coming up that they're a heritage from the Lord, that this is our future. And the reality of it is, is if, our, if we have a, a, a generation of young people that are coming up underneath that have completely differing views, then I'm going to tell you that the older generation starts to get very insecure very quickly. But my fear, bad word maybe, but... Is it, my concern is, is, that, is that we're living life here and we're not bringing him into everything. We're building a whole lot of stuff and we're, we're building our little kingdoms all the time, but we're not recognizing God until we get to church on Sunday. We're not demonstrating necessarily to our kids that, that this is the lens that we see life through, that every decision that we make should come through the lens of God's word. And if it doesn't, if it's coming through my lens, I'm going to tell you that it's warped, that I don't see clearly through that lens, but God sees clearly and in a way that we don't even always get. It doesn't even always seem to make sense to us, but in the end, it always brings life. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior or the children of one's youth. Arrows are shot at a target. There's a... There's a there's a means of, it's on purpose. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, we, we live in a world and in a culture that like, I don't know, like I, I was kind of almost raised in, in the Barney culture, you know, where everybody wins and everything is good. And he was a little purple guy. And, 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 and you know, I, I don't think Barney really... Um, blessed us because what he did was Barney began to take away any direction. Barney just said, follow your heart, you know, whatever you want to do. 
It's, it's all up to you. You can, you, can, you can do anything you want to do. Well, I don't know. Can you? Always? Is that really true? Do we all always win? Is life really fair? You see, we've gotten to the point where we're at today because we're trying to base things on an economy of fairness. And the reality of this world is, is that it's not always fair. Now, what, what God has called us to do is to take the bottom out of things as believers. So let's take poverty, for example. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. In other words, you're, you're never going to get to this place of perfect financial equality. But what he has called those who have to do is to take the bottom out of poverty. The poverty shouldn't kill us. But you know what? There's a whole lot worse things out there than to be poor. And so God has called us to bring us into this. And the big question is, is do we even understand or know what security is or where it comes from? I think that we have looked for too long in these places, and I think that God has removed them from us lately. He's shown us that there's not security in our financial security. There's not security in our health. There's not security in our medical system. There's not security in science. Now, all of those things may provide answers for us, but they'll only come through him. And it's the recognition of that. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You see, security is tied to the next generation. Those who are coming up, because the reality of it is, is that we'll all get um, a bit older and, uh, and as that happens, um, we'll need the next generation. You see, the idea is to be pouring into the generation that's coming after us. If we're getting up there a bit, our, our, our perspective should be to pour into them. The struggle that we have today is that, is that kids, young people are leaving the church at a huge rate. Now, let's understand this, though. They're not uninterested in faith. They have a real interest in faith. But we are called as the church to move out of this building and to bring that message to those who are around us. We've got to begin to speak. And I've said it before. I'm going to say it a hundred times. You're going to get so tired of me saying it. Let's quit talking about what we're against. Let's talk about what we're for. Let's, let's just, let's talk about what we're for. Let's talk about the good things that bringing God into our community will bring to our community. Let's talk about the good things that God coming into our families will bring. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about these relationships. Let's talk about all of the cultural issues that are coming down on us today. Let's have that conversation. Let's have it civilly, and let's talk about what we're for. Now, don't misunderstand me. When you talk about what you're for, you're going to automatically come against some things. But we're going to do it from a different perspective. Instead of just coming against you and against this person, against this group, let's just talk about what we're for. That part will happen by itself. And we don't have to come. But Jesus wasn't against us. He was for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
that in him, he's the one who brings purpose. He's the one who brings meaning to these things. You see, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13 says this. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, God is telling us there, and he says, listen, my people, not the world out there, not unbelievers, my people have committed two things wrong. They've forsaken me. They forgot about me. They did their own work apart from me. They forgot that I was the source of living water, and they went and they dug cisterns for themselves. And a cistern can only hold stagnant water, but worse yet, these cisterns can hold nothing because they're broken. In other words, a lot of work goes into putting in a cistern, and what God is saying is that I already had you. I had you in these areas. I had you, and, and, and you, you went off and you did that, and, and it's just broke. It's not going to work. And so when we try to, try to recreate all of this and recreate life apart from him, we're going to miss the boat, and we'll miss it every time. Jesus says this. He says in 1 Peter 2.5, not Jesus, Peter, I'm sorry, to the church. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, Solomon was building a house and that house was gonna house the very presence of God. But today, Jesus, interesting that he was a carpenter, is building a different kind of a house. And what he's saying is that each one of us represent a stone or a part of the bigger house of God. That God's church, remember, isn't here. You didn't come to church this morning. You brought church with you. You came to the building where the church assembles. And the church is God's people around the whole earth. Those who proclaim the name of Jesus and live to glorify and honor him who, who, bring them, who bring him into their lives and then bring him into their communities around and create bigger communities that these little rocks start getting stacked on top of one another. And this is his kingdom and how it works. It's one stone. It's one heart at a time. It's one heart determined to make his kingdom first in our lives, regardless of, of the rest of it. It's hearts recognizing that if he's not in it, we can do all we want to do. We can make all kinds of systems and, and, and provision and programs and all of that kind of stuff, and we can do it in the church and we can do it out there, and apart from him, it'll have no real value because he's the one who gets it. He's the one who understands to a level and in a place that we just don't. And we're the people who always want to push him over here a little bit and do our own thing. And the reality of that is because we want the glory. We want the fame. We want to be made famous. Let's be a people who remember that peace comes through him. He's the prince of peace. When he left here right before, he said, I want to leave you with my peace. I want to give you security. I want to give you meaning. I want to give you purpose. I want to give you those things. I want to be a part of your lives, your church, your community. So we can't push him out. We pushed him out, and it's got us to today. It's time for the church to move forward, to
to begin to speak, to have civil conversation, to speak into the culture around us, and to bring the light and the life that only he can bring. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that, you, um, that you bring life, that you're the you're the author of all life, that you're the prince of peace, that you're the one that we can look to, that you're the only one, that if you're not in what's happening in our lives, then we'll spend them in vain. We'll spend them on our own pursuits and we'll forget about our brothers and sisters around the globe. Lord, help us to have a heart to, to see things the way that you do. Help us to, to know that, that, Lord, you're for us, that you haven't uh, forsaken us, you've, you've never left us, that it's your deep desire to, to, to be Lord in our lives, to, to move us forward, to, to build our lives individually, to build our church, to build our community, so that it would be equitable to all people, Lord. Help us to, to know and to realize that you're, you're the one who's brought equality. You're, it's your gospel that has went forth that, that, that does what, what nothing else can do, and that your gospel is really the only um, answer that we have. And so, um, Lord, we just, we just want to commit our lives, our families, our community, our nation to you. We ask that you'd heal us up, Lord. We ask that we would turn from the things that we've been turning to, that we would humble ourselves, Lord, that we would pray, and that you, Lord, would hear our prayers, and Lord, that you would heal our land. That's our ask for you, Lord, is that you would heal our land, that you would be central in it, that, Lord, you would help us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And real quick, I just want to say that if there's anybody in here, if, you, if you've never done that, if you've never asked him into your life, you see, the idea of children being a heritage, the, the, the Bible actually says in, in some kind of a bizarre way that, that we are an inheritance for him, that, that he uh, deeply desires a relationship with you and with myself. And, and that the way that it works is by becoming a child of his. Remember, God has no grandkids. He has only kids. And we're, we're brought into his family by adoption. We're, we're made one of those spiritual stones that's being placed into um, a living house, into a bigger picture than ourselves by coming into relationship with him, by saying yes to him, by becoming his child. And we just simply do that through faith. We, we simply do that by admitting our wrong. We admit that, that we've fallen short, that we have um, done things for ourselves and in our own way, that we've rejected him, that we've pushed him away, that we've pushed him outside of our lives. And, and, and then we just come to understand that, that we want to repent from that. We want to turn from that, and we want to turn back to him. And to repent simply means to, to do a 180, that we were headed this way and for our own purposes, but we're going to do a 180 and we're going to head back to you. And, and that he's going to meet us there. The Bible says that when we draw near to God, that he draws near to us. And that when we ask, when we ask for him to come in, to have it all, to, to be Lord of our lives, and it's, it's not really about words, it's, a, it's about a heart that desires nothing more than for his kingdom to rule and reign in our hearts. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when we do that, it changes everything. It changes our lives. It changes our perspective. It, it brings meaning and purpose into our lives that we were just missing 
because we were living just for the temporal and apart from him. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, to allow him to build your life, allow him to move you out of this place and bring you into a place of real purpose, a place of, of permanence, a place where your perspective is changed in, from a temporal one and from a selfish one into a selfless and eternal perspective, not because you're good, but because he's good, because he was good enough to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And, and, and that then is the hope. And if you know him, if today he's your Lord and Savior, then my encouragement for us all is to bring it into our communities, to go out of the doors here today and share the hope and the love and the goodness of this God who both made us, created us, and redeemed us, who bought us back for himself so that we could then have a ministry of reconciliation. You see, that's our job as the church, is to go out and to be peacemakers, reconcilers, those who bring his plans, his peace, his goodness into the arena of conversation and culture around us. And we do it because it brings life, because it's changed our own lives first. And we're determined to see other people live in the freedom that we've now found. So um, just a thought, just an encouragement to you if you've not done that. It's the best decision I ever made. And I would encourage you to make the same one. Blessings. Thanks, Pastor.